Welcome to the Kingdom at Hand podcast. I'm Pastor Joe Faldet. We can be found at the Kingdom at Hand on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. All of our sermons can be accessed through our website at www.hosannaforthelutheran.com. They've been archived since 2014 there. This sermon was delivered live in front of the congregation at Hosanna Free Lutheran in St. James, Minnesota. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27, and I read in Jesus' name, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Let us pray. Father, as we come to study your word, we thank you for your word, for the power of it. And we ask that you would guide us, Lord, that you would sanctify us, that you would change us through it and make us to be more like Jesus. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So today is actually our second installment of Husbands, Love Your Wives. And last week, we talked about uh, what it means for husbands to, to love their wives. And we focused just on uh, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We talked about what love means. That love means that you would, as, as a guy... That love means that I would look upon my wife as something of value. That I would value her. That I would cherish her. That I would, I would hold her as, as being more important than other things. That's what it means to love something. As far as I can understand. To hold her high in value. And so that was last week's sermon. And then we're going to continue on this. And as we continue on this, uh, we're going to be looking at, well, Christ. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And, and I really want to focus in on that word as, which is strange. <laughs> what does as mean? You know, then we have, we have a comparison. And Christ sets himself up then as a pattern for us to mimic, to imitate. And this is really important because really our world is made up of patterns. And there's patterns all over the place. And if you guys know anything about trees, and that's why I have the, the walnut and the shag bar kickery up there, uh, that picture up there, because a tree is kind of like a fractal. Some of you might know what fractals are, some of you might not. But it's a repeating pattern. And so the, the smaller you get into that tree, you keep seeing these patterns one after another. And so if you take a walnut tree, a black walnut tree, you look at the tree as a whole, you see a tree. Well, you take and you cut off a branch and stick it into the ground, what do you have? You have another black walnut tree. It's not going to grow, but it looks the same. And it's interesting then that the whole tree's format is, it continues to build out to the smallest twigs. And this is how we view the world. This is actually one of the ways by which we can view the world. We should be looking for patterns in this world. 
Because that's how we decide if the next thing that we're going to do, what the next thing we're going to do, if it's a good decision or a bad decision, we look at patterns. And so to take kind of a, well, there's all sorts of examples, but you can take the example of like the stock market. So for the last five days, actually the stock market is not a good example because you could have the stock market going down for the last five days and then have it shoot up 500 points, you know, and it's really stupendously random. But if every time you went for a run, you got a side ache and you decided I'm going to go for a run one more time, what's probably going to happen? probably going to get a side ache unless you finally worked through that. I don't know how often, how long you have to run. Uh, you runners would have to tell me that because I never ran long enough to get past that point. Um, <laughs> but patterns exist all throughout our lives. And this is really important because what patterns are we going to be basing our lives upon? What patterns are we going to be basing our next decisions upon? Uh, as I Look at the way my grandfather parented my dad and the way my dad parented me. And then I look at the way that I parent Anton and Rachel and Soren, and I am shocked to see the exact same patterns. I see where I got what I do from my dad and from my grandpa, both on my dad's side, but then also on my mom's side. And I see these patterns coming down into me. And then I unconsciously based the way that I parent on my ancestors. Because those are the patterns that I've inherited. And culture does this for us. Culture gives us patterns. Culture says, you know, you want your life to be worth something, you have to make a lot of money. You know, that's one of the things that our culture proclaims. You start to look at these patterns. You see them in TV, in movies, sitcoms, soap operas. I don't actually watch soap operas, so I'm guessing. But they're going to be in there. You want your life to be valuable. You, you, you seek pleasure. You know, pleasure is going to give you the greatest value. Bang for your buck, for your minutes and your hours. That's the pattern that our culture is teaching us. Aim for pleasure. Aim for ease. Or even now, there's actually a stoic movement rising in our land. And that stoic movement is saying, if you want your life to be valuable, you work hard and strive to not engage emotionally in things. Which is you know, a fascinating counterculture. But that's on the rise now. And what patterns then do we use? What patterns should I use to live my life? Should I just look to dad and say, you know what? What dad did, I'm going to do. You know what? I love my dad. He's a great dad. He's not perfect. <laughs> Believe it or not. And I don't want my kids looking to me and just mimicking what I do because believe it or not, I'm not perfect either. And I got that from my dad. Um, (laughs) But we can't just follow someone blindly. We actually have to think about this and Christ calls us to think about this. And so what do we look to for how we live our lives? What manner do we live our lives? Well, Jesus tells us Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so if I want to figure out what is the most valuable thing that I can do with my life, what is the best thing that I could do with my life, what is the most satisfying thing that I could do with my life, what is the wisest thing that I could do with my life, Jesus says, 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so the kingdom of God then is our end. That's our goal. That's the thing that we seek, the thing we pursue, the thing that we're aiming for. Whatever phrase you want to use for that for your life. The kingdom of God is first. That the kingdom of God would be in my life and be in the lives of all the people around me. Because the kingdom of God is in you. And so to seek the kingdom of God first. Well, how do we do that? By his righteousness. So his righteousness becomes the means by which we seek first the kingdom of God. That's the pattern that scripture gives to us. And so it doesn't mean build a big farm. It doesn't mean become rich. It doesn't mean live long. It doesn't even mean live long. It means seek the kingdom of God. That's your goal. Set that as a goal. Nothing else can get in the way of that. Set that as a goal and pursue that in righteousness. Because if you try to pursue the kingdom of God in unrighteousness, you can't do it. It's not possible. And so this is the pattern that scripture gives us. And a portion of this then, you know, a branch of this is Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Follow his pattern. Because you don't have to make this stuff up on your own because it's really hard to invent something new. Like, there's not a lot of inventions in the world. There's not a lot of inventors. These people are, you know, they're way out there on creativity. There's not a lot of them. And so we look to Christ and say, all right, how do I, then what, if I'm supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God, that's going to include my family. It's going to include my wife. How do I interact with my wife? Okay, as Christ loved the church. Christ becomes my pattern and how I love my wife so that I can, that's the proper means by which we pursue the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? So that's what the word as means. <laughs> that means that there is a set pattern given to us, a, a, a closed off pattern because the positive. So um, I've used this example before. If I tell Linda, Linda, you can go anywhere, but you can't go to Godal. What does that mean? Where can you go? Basically everywhere. Anywhere. Except Godal. But if I tell Linda, Linda, you have to go to Godal. What does that mean? There's only one place that she can go. Every other place is excluded. And so when Paul here says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Everything else is excluded because he's given us the positive. He's saying, this is the way to do it. No other way works. Husbands, don't love your wives as Hitler loved Germany. You know, I just shouldn't have to say that. But I just did. So, you know, that's excluded. All of these other means, all of these other patterns are excluded. He, Paul's saying, this is the pattern by which husbands are to love their wives. Not the pattern that your dad gave to you. Not the pattern that your grandpa gave to you. Not the pattern you saw in Everyone Loves Raymond. I really do enjoy that show. But uh, as Christ loved the church. That's the pattern that's set. Because these are the foundations upon which we build our lives as Christians. And the, how would we find these patterns? The difficulty of finding these patterns just by accident is that there's so many ways by which we could do things. You know, I could look at the Native American culture and ask, how do the Native Americans love their wives? You know, and they didn't, for the most part, the tribes didn't do a very good job. Women weren't held highly, and so, but in the church, they're supposed to be held highly. Well, I could look at Islam and say, well, how does Islam 
How do the husbands love their wives? What's being taught there? You know, there's all sorts of manners that I can do that. And so if we're just blindly following this, just blindly trying to find it, we're going to run into problems because there's too many options. So God gives us this one set. And he gives us this one set and he says, here's how it works. He doesn't just say, ask, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He, you know, he builds it out from there. So this is built on self-sacrifice. Husbands, sorry, I was in 22. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So I can't love my wife if I am just seeking my own goals. If I am just using her to get to my ends, that's not loving my wife. You know, did Christ do that? Well, kind of, but he also sacrificed himself for her. He set her, he set the church as being the most valuable thing. And that's, that's the foundation. That's how I interact with my wife. That's the revelation that's been given to me. And that's why I have that picture of the tree with the roots coming down. Because that's what God has done for us. He has sent these patterns down to us as foundational ways by which we love our, by, by which we live our lives. By which I love my wife. And so self-sacrifice. I am called to be sacrificing of my wants, my desires, my ease, luxury, time, all of those things. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does it mean for me to love my wife? It means that I would sacrifice myself for her. Because we see Christ doing that for us. Christ sacrificed himself for us. Christ gave up everything for us. You know, you think how huge of a calling that is for us. That Christ would be like this. That Christ gave himself up for me. That Christ loves me. That he actually said, Joe Fall death is valuable. That's amazing. And when I just use my wife, I'm saying, Kirsten Faldet isn't valuable. But when I sacrifice for her, I say, Kirsten's more valuable than my shop time. Kirsten's more valuable than my nest egg or whatever. Well, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> I'm not going to tell stories on my wife. Uh, not today. Um, she's, no, it's not because she's not here. I'll do that even when she's not here. <laughs> I just want to keep going. Um, Self-sacrifice. But then, he didn't sacrifice just to make the church happy, did he? Did Jesus come, God so loved the world, that he wanted to make the church happy? No. Jesus gave himself for us that he might sanctify us. That he might sanctify her. And so what does that mean? That means that not only did Christ see us as valuable to start with, valuable enough that he would sacrifice himself for the church. The church in its sinful, just newly saved manner, Jesus says, that is valuable. But I love that so much that I don't want it to remain in that low value. I want to make it more valuable. And so Christ then sanctifies the church. And this is what we as husbands are called to do towards our wives, to invest in them. Because if you invest in something, what usually happens to it? It improves. You know, I'm not, there I can't talk about the stock market. Because sometimes you can put a lot of money into that and not get anything out of it, depending on when you take it out. But if, if you have a farmer investing in his field, 
and he makes sure that it's well fertilized and he makes sure that it's taken care of, is that field going to become more or less productive? If he's doing it right, it should be more. You know? And so that's their calling then. If, if I'm investing in my house, my house should become better. And so I'm called to invest in my wife, not because she's lacking, but because she's not as much as she could be, because nobody is as much as they could be. You know, we could all grow. Even I can grow, believe it or not. And not just horizontally, but, you know, in sanctification. That's the goal. And we'd become better. And so then I invest in my wife in order to encourage her to grow in her relationship with Christ. Because I want Kirsten to become better. Better than she is now. That she'd be wiser and more godly and more humble and all of these things. You know, and granted, she's got all these things in spades. And don't worry, I won't have to ask you to pay me for that. Um, But to make better. And so husbands, as you interact with your wives, do you appreciate them now? Do you also realize... That if you invest time and energy and love and care and compassion into your wives, that they're going to become better wives? Think about that. I hope that's not insulting, ladies. But it's true. This is what Christ did to the church. And so this is the pattern by which he gave us to interact with our wives. So he says, every human being can become better. Men, how do you get a better wife? Invest in her. Sanctify her. Sacrifice yourself for her. And see what God brings about. So that, and this is just so interesting. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. Blemish. So that she might be holy and without blemish. And so... As Christ invests himself in the church, as Christ gave himself for the church, as Christ continues to do this through the work of the Holy Spirit, we actually get a a really cool image of the sacrament of baptism here, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. We'll get into that in the third point. But this is Christ's goal. Not just so that we can be the best that we can be, but so that he can enjoy the best that we can be. And so this is a cool image for me as a husband because Paul is saying here, husbands, if you invest in your wives, you are going to enjoy the outcome of that. That's going to be a good outcome even for you because as Christ invests in his church, he enjoys us more too. We become closer to his ideal. We become what he desires of us, not only for himself, but then also for the world to glorify God. Like there's all sorts of levels here. But this is what God is doing towards us. So this is what I'm called to do towards my wife, because this is the revelation that's come down for us. So that this is the pattern upon which I build my marriage. Not just how mom and dad interacted, but how did Christ and the church interact? Like, that's a pattern that Paul says, this works. This is, not only does this work, this is best. Because, you know, duct tape and bailing wire can work, right? But is that best? No. Believe it or not, Kevin, it never is best. (laughs) It might be the most expedient, but it's never best. And so if we want the best, we do it the way that God says to do it. 
because that's going to be best for your marriage. That's going to be best for your life. That's going to be best for your wife. That's going to be best for you. That's going to be best for your kids. That's going to be best for your community. That's going to be best for the state. You name it. It continues to grow up and out. It's going to be best for everybody. So what do we do? We build our lives upon the pattern that Christ gave us, like roots coming down. He has given us these things so that we can build our lives in this manner. Does that make sense? So this is the pattern upon which we build our marriages. Thirdly, what, what does that mean? How? How did Christ do this? And then how do we do this? Christ did this by, well, that's the wrong, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Okay, what does this mean? This is an image of baptism. Um, really, it is an image of baptism. And we are, I am a Lutheran. And so I, I do believe that there's a spiritual power going on in baptism. I'm, I feel like going into that, but I'm going to withhold. Um, simply for the sake of conciseness. What does it mean to cleanse something? So anybody who, have any of you ever done dishes? Yeah, some of you. <laughs> People do that still. Yeah. How many of you have ever taken a dish out of the dishwasher and went over to the sink and washed it again? We've done that. Why? Because it's still dirty. Have you ever taken a perfectly clean dish out of the dishwasher, looked at that and said, you know, I'm going to wash that again because I feel like washing dishes now. No. Why do we wash something? Because it's dirty. Thanks, Em. Yeah. Thank you. That was you that said that, right? Yep. Okay. So uh, your pastor does have a good hearing. Um, we wash things that are dirty. And so when Paul says here, having cleansed her, the first thing is to acknowledge that there was, it was un- impure in some manner. It, was cl- it wasn't clean. It was dirty. And so husbands, so this is what Christ does to us. So the first step in becoming a Christian really is to acknowledge we're not perfect. You know, this is why John says in 1 John that if you deny that you have sinned, you fool yourselves or you lie to yourselves. Why does he say yourselves? Because you're not lying to anybody else. Everybody knows it. But you lie to yourself. It's not an exact quote. But our first step as we become Christians is to acknowledge that we need to be cleansed. And so as we interact with our wives, husbands, we need to start out by acknowledging they're not perfect. We're not perfect either. But if we interact with our wives expecting them to start out perfect, you're in for a huge disappointment. I don't know any wife that's perfect because every person that I know is sinful. And so when Kirsten and I first got married, you know, I married a sinful woman. When Kirsten and I first got married, she married a more sinful man. Um, But I married a sinful woman. And so that's the acknowledgement of that. This is reality. But once we acknowledge that, we at least have a foundation upon which we can start working. Because if I think that Kirsten's perfect, and then these things come up, and it's like, I don't know what to do then. Because if I can't acknowledge it as sin, then I don't know how to manage it. But once we acknowledge it as sin and say, you know what, this is sin. All right. We can move on from there. And the cleansing, because then you acknowledge the dirt, you acknowledge the filth, you acknowledge the sin, you acknowledge that which needs to be cleaned. Then, 
the washing of water with the word, what does God call us to? Confession, repentance, the, the participation in the sacrament, the, you know, the, the washing of water with the word. It's the removing of the old. How do we as Christians continue to walk into that? And you know, I've talked about it, oh, I think like four or five times this week. Confession. We receive this in confession. And so I confess my sins to God and he says, receive my forgiveness. If we confess our sins, I don't think I even gave an absolution today. Um, But as we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so how do I receive that cleansing, you know, in a daily, in a daily way? Do I need to be rebaptized every time I sin? No. How do we know? Do you remember, this, this is something that I was thinking about this week as well. When Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, what does Peter tell him? First off, Peter says, don't wash my feet. You know, Jesus, and then he says, well, Jesus says, no, this has to be done. And then he says, wash all of me, my head and my hands as well. And Jesus says, if you've been cleaned, if you've been cleansed, You don't need to be totally washed again. Just your feet need to be washed. There's symbolism there. Jesus is talking about something deeper. He's not just talking about washing his physical feet. He's talking about forgiving the sins that they've committed since they've last been bathed. And so the dirt that they've accumulated since they were last bathed, that's what needs to be washed off. And so we as Christians then... If we're Christians, if we believe in Jesus Christ, we are cleansed through faith. We receive this through faith. And so if we've been cleansed, and, you know, faith comes through baptism. I'm not going to go into that. Man, just so tempted. Um, As we receive that, as we've been cleansed by the word of God, that's what Jesus tells them, and you all are clean because of my word. Um, I've sinned since then. Believe it or not, I have sinned since I became a Christian. I know that's shocking, right? And you guys haven't seen any of them, but um, except in the way that I don't always love my wife. Uh, what do I need? I need my feet washed. I don't need to be re-Christianized. I just need to be cleansed. Those sins need to be cleansed away. And that's the symbolism that Jesus has when he washes the feet. And that's what we do when we come to Jesus in confession. We cleanse the sins that he's shown us that we have. We don't need to be re-Christianized. I don't need to be re-saved. I need to be, have my feet re-washed because I've gone through a sinful world and sinned. So I receive that. And then not only that, the washing of the water with the word. And so husbands, first step, acknowledge that your wife has sins and needs forgiveness. Needs to be cleansed. How do we do that? We do that through forgiveness. It doesn't come through <laughs> beating up your wives, whether physically or emotionally or verbally. You know, that's not what Christ does for us, is it? Does Christ then start whipping us with his words and saying, hey, do better, do better, do better, do better. No, he says, I forgive you. Now stop doing it. So it starts out with forgiveness. So how do we come together as a, as a family? When, when there's sin in between Kirsten and I, how do we come back together? It's not by me saying, 
Kirsten, I'll forgive you if, if you don't do this ever again. I'll forgive you once you pay it back. No, that's not forgiveness. That's not what Christ did to us, is it? Does he, Christ stand up in heaven and say, Job, I'll forgive you if you don't ever do that again. You know, if he did, I'm sunk. He doesn't do that. He just says, I forgive you. Stop doing that. But I forgive you. It's not good for you. But I forgive you. And then in that, that's the power of salvation. It's just the gospel. But he doesn't leave it there. He doesn't just say, I forgive you, now go and do whatever. He guides us, the washing of the water with the word. And then we come back to this pattern. Because he's given us the word so that we can have a directed pattern. So that we're not just trying to figure this out on our own. And this is how I'm supposed to be interacting with my wife. And this is how I'm supposed to, as a pastor, this is how I'm supposed to interact with the church. Because there's another layer of pattern in there. Because we've got Christ in the church. You've got the pastor in the church as well. Pastor in the congregation. Not the church as a whole. I'm not responsible for the whole church. Praise God. Um, You guys are hard enough. What I get for going to a Norwegian German congregation. Um, The pastor and the congregation, and then the husband and the wife, these patterns exist all throughout. And there's more of them, but I'm not going to get into all of them because you get the kids in there and all that stuff too. But nevertheless, he guides us, gives us these patterns. And so as I'm interacting with my wife in this, if Kirsten, and I'd say if because, you know, it does happen, but if it happens, when it happens, I say, Kirsten, I forgive you for that. Does that tell her what I want? Or do I expect her to just be able to figure that out all on her own? You know, if you really loved me, you wouldn't do that to me. No, Christ doesn't do that to us. And so I'm not called to do that to my wife. It's like, you know, what you said there, that really hurt. I forgive you. This is what I would like in its place. Because that's on me. I'm the husband, right? Husbands. You're the husband. (laughs) We're called to be the spiritual guides in our homes. Not to rely on our wives to do it. It's us. It's us. We're the head of our wife. It's my responsibility. It's my authority. That's my privilege. It's my calling. So then I'm called to guide her just as Christ guides me. And to live my life in the pattern that I want her to show others too. So this is what it means. Husbands, love your wives. How? Well, in self-sacrifice. For her sanctification. So that I might benefit through this. By acknowledging her sin. By forgiving her her sin. By guiding her in righteousness. Through my words. Through my life. Amen. Any questions? Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for giving us this pattern. This revelation to us. Lord, that we might know how to live in this world. Lord, I pray that we would separate ourselves from the way that the world works. Lord, and live according to the pattern that you have given us. Lord, because your pattern is good, and the world's isn't. So guide us, bless us, help us, 
Lord, that you might be revealed to all this world, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.